you're on with attorney Vince Davis, and the name of this show is Get Your Kids Back Now. The show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning uh, to the audience. We're broadcasting live today from Orange County. Uh, Today is August the 27th, 2016. It's early Saturday morning here in California. Uh, Today's show, we're going to be talking about a couple of things uh, that I have a significant significant interest in, and that is um, getting together, banding together as a group of people, both nationally and at the state levels, to effect changes with our laws. And I think the first way that that we can do that is by uh, proposing laws and trying to get legislation passed uh, that will change the way the juvenile court is operating currently. Um, I have three, I think, measures that I think um, should be implemented as soon as possible in the juvenile dependency system. The first one is to allow parents in certain or if not all hearings uh, the right to a jury trial when there's issues of fact determined by the court. Um, This doesn't have to be a 12-man or 12-person jury. It could be a modified jury. It could be a six-person jury. Um, I recently talked on my family law show uh, with an expert uh, about bringing uh, jury trials to family law and divorce cases. And I realized something that I I hadn't realized before about the cost and the administrative uh, hurdles that would uh, have to be uh, jumped in order to implement a jury system in uh, in a state like ours, California. Um, But I think that it's important because we are talking about people's lives, their families' lives. And to have it just decided by one person, in this case in California, the judge, um, perhaps may not be the fairest way uh, for uh, these cases to be decided. I think, you know, a lot of judges who um, sit as juvenile dependency judges are, um, or they get sort of immune to the human story involved uh, in these matters. And... um, Uh, They do these cases day after day after day, month after month after month, year after year after year. Um, There have been judges sitting in juvenile court in Los Angeles County in the same courtroom for a substantial period of time. And sometimes I think perhaps these cases should be looked at as if they were a pair of fresh eyes, you know, um, people being accused of child abuse or being accused in a lot of situations of being a um, a risk to children. Um, and, and, and in the end, I don't really think they are. Uh, somebody was telling me, and I'm not really personally aware of it, about a class action lawsuit in New York where they were fighting to change a law Um where they would take children away from parents who are involved in one domestic violence incident. Now, I'm not here to say that domestic violence is not a concern and that uh, I readily recognize that children can be hurt in a domestic violence uh, atmosphere. But there are degrees of domestic violence in my mind, and there are degrees... um, in the way that it can affect the child. I'm currently involved in a case that's going to be going to trial um, next week. And um, it it occurred where the father and the mother had a domestic violence incident. And um, the social workers and the police came out and investigated. And uh, the social workers kept investigating for about a month 
and uh, they were talking to the children, talking to the parents, and um, what happened was they they didn't take they didn't make the father move out of the house, and he was the alleged perpetrator, and they didn't take the child out of the house. And a month goes by, uh, the family, uh, at least the father, gets into some type of counseling and anger management, and uh, they decide to file a case. But they, the recommendation initially is not to detain the child, and you know, to allow the father and mother to stay at the home and to allow them to continue in and counseling and domestic violence counseling, anger management for the father, that type of thing. Suddenly, at the day of the hearing, uh, the detention hearing, the first hearing in the juvenile court, the Department of Children and Family Services changes its recommendation, and, and I'm not clear on why. Maybe we'll find out during the trial. But they want the father removed from the home or in the alternative, um, the child removed from the home. Well, a couple months has gone by. The father has gotten into counseling, anger management, parenting. Uh, I think the parents had even done, have done some individual counsel. Excuse me, conjoint counseling together to work on their marital issues. And um, the department is still recommending that the father not be returned to the home. Uh, the uh, what's called the adjudication and the contested disposition hearing. Not too long ago, I, I was sent by an attorney, uh, a very well-known attorney by the name of Sean McMillan, who specializes or who is an expert in uh, suing social workers uh, for civil rights violations. And uh, he sent me a, a, a video link. It was actually on YouTube, I think. Um, he sent me a, a video link of a woman who worked for, and I think it was Orange County, uh, and she was one of the financial experts, and for lack of a better term, I'll call her the chief financial officer of uh, the agency in Orange County. And uh, in this deposition, she explains how county departments of CPS or departments of children and family services actually make money um, by implementing this whole juvenile system. I was always under the impression that um, <clears throat> this juvenile system was uh, established to protect children who had been abused or who are in danger of being abused. And uh, what I've come to find out from this video is that there is a huge financial incentive for CPS to start cases, take your children away, place them in a foster home. Now, I had always suspected this, but this is the first time I'd actually seen someone who actually works for one of these CPS agencies um, testifying under oath on a video about all of the financial incentives. And what I took from that video was, you know, generally cases start, and uh, there's a... a a way of the way they do these cases, uh, or they typically like to do these cases, is you know, for example, in this domestic violence case, there's a detention hearing. They take the child away from the parents. Parents go to counseling. At a disposition hearing, the court is supposed to rule where there is there is clear and convincing evidence, not preponderance of evidence, but clear and convincing evidence that the child's in danger. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, if the department can show that there is clear and convincing evidence. Uh, that the child's in danger in one or both of the parents' custody, then the child's supposed to be placed out of their custody for six months. But the way cases are routinely done is um, the the parent is decides or is counseled by an attorney to go ahead and agree to leave the child out of the home for a six-month period so that they can come back and at the what, they, what used to be called the judicial review, it's now called the 366.21E hearing, um, that, uh, you know, as long as they do their counseling and or drug testing or alcohol testing or parenting or domestic violence counseling or anger management counseling, they'll get the child back in six months. And what typically happens is that we hit the six-month period and the, even though the parent has done a lot of stuff or done everything, 
the the new worker in the case, um, the family reunification services worker, somehow disagrees that the child should be returned. And what I didn't know is that there is a huge financial incentive for counties to take the case at least to the six-month date. And I was also I also learned by watching this video and by talking to Attorney McMillan is that the administration, if you will, um, are all of CPS are all trained about these financial considerations. The line workers are not trained about this. And I think supervisors, um, Attorney McMillan told me, are trained about these financial incentives or they are begun to train. But when this administration and these supervisors are telling the line social workers, you know, go out and do God's work and protect children and keep them safe. What they weren't told is, is that we're going to take these really strong stances of returning children to parents because of financial reasons. Many years ago, I was a CPA and um, I a certified public accountant and I work for a, a large international accounting firm. And um, I worked in the L.A. office, and uh, one of our biggest clients was L.A. LA County. And everyone in the office had to be familiar with um, governmental accounting. <clears throat> it's a specialized form of accounting. And uh, you had to know it because at any time you could be put on the L.A. County job. At, when I was with the firm, it was a huge job for the office. And um, so I knew about governmental accounting, but I hadn't connected the two. Uh, and I, I now realize that, you know, this is a huge money-making operation for the counties through their departments. And sometimes, sometimes these services and kids being taken away under the auspices of keeping kids safe is really done um, by because of financial reasons, a financial profit for the, um, for the county. Now, this is my opinion. Of course, there will be many people who disagree with me. Um, but it's just my opinion. I've been I've been a lawyer almost 30 years uh, this December, and I've been doing these juvenile dependency cases since January 2nd, 1989. So I have a substantial amount of experience. And uh, many years ago, I was a, a court-appointed attorney for many, many years, and I've been a private attorney representing people in juvenile cases all over California, um, literally all over California uh, in a private practice. So I see these same things. I see the same things in, in, in Shasta County in the north, Humboldt County, San Francisco County, San Diego County, Riverside County, San Bernardino County, and of course, Los Angeles County. Um, I think we had a case in, I think it was San Joaquin County. I got the same feeling when I was there about how things operate. And, you know, we're trying to, quote, protect children. But what we're really doing is we're, we're really destroying families. Uh, and, and I really believe that from my experiences. And, of course, there's going to be the other side. You know, it's just going to be just like the presidential election. Some, they're, they're Hillary supporters and they're Trump supporters. And, you know, there's always going to be two sides. But that's just my own personal feeling. Um, so that's the first way I think that we can establish change. I'm going to be talking about two other ways um, in a moment, but I'm, <clears throat> our calls and the call log are getting backed up. So I'm going to take the first call. The first call is from area code 805, ending in 96. Good morning. You are on with attorney Vince Davis. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you this fine Saturday morning? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. I'm out of Ventura sure, County, a... and I have... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, did you um, have a story or a question? Well, I have a story. Um, I recently um, have obtained guardianship of my granddaughter, um, which I've had with me. She's four years old, which she's been with me her entire life, um, along with mom and dad, but... For over the past year, she has been with me on her own. Um, 
I got guardianship of her. Um, I went in to get guardianship for her because of her dental work and for just for her own, for the best interest of the child. Um, Mom is in jail. Dad mentally cannot take care of her. So I went to do the guardianship. And because I have past CPS cases, um, there was an investigation that they needed to do to make the decision for permanent guardianship. Well, when CPS came out to do the investigation, they did the investigation. Um, she said she was ending her investigation with speaking to my my two children, my two sons. Um, that and then a week later, the child was detained for me. Um, they, I never saw a CPS warrant when they came to get her. Um, they we went to court on it. Um, they got, took her on a Friday. We went to court on it on a Wednesday, you know, the prior, the next Wednesday. And they stripped my guardianship from me and said that the child needed to be detected, stay in foster, well, stay detained. In foster care, correct? So, well, yes, she went, went to foster care. Now she's family, she's relative placed. My aunt stepped up and did, um, the relative placement and she was approved. CPS said that she would never be able to return to me because I have prior CPS cases. Mm-hmm. So my questions are, did CPS have the right to remove my granddaughter because they thought, uh, oh, also in the report, the lady, um, the social worker says she thought I was being untruthful to her. So they detained her. So my thing is I never seen a warrant. I don't know if that was legal. Um, did they have the right to remove her on those allegations? You know, how does the situation change if the child, um, you know, she was with me. I don't understand why they didn't let the guardianship, guardianship court make that decision instead of them just taking her. You know, I, I don't understand what's really going on. Hello. 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 Hi. I cannot hear you, Kate. I'm here now. I can hear you now. Okay. Where is the mother of this child? The mother of the child is in jail. She's looking at 15 years. But she has totally um, agreed with the guardianship. Right. So this is what you should do. Because I don't know what your past juvenile dependency cases were about. Um, okay. If they were if they were serious, they might disqualify you from becoming a guardian. If they're okay. not serious, the social workers and the juvenile court may not have jurisdiction over the child. For example, the mother they filed a case against the mother. The mother can make a plan to leave the child with a relative like yourself and you could become the guardian. The problem becomes whether, and this is the gray area, whether that plan is going to be sufficient or reasonable. Now, in my mind, just because you've had prior juvenile dependency cases doesn't disqualify you automatically. And I think the analysis has to go, well, you know, what type of cases did you have? Did you ameliorate the problems? For example, and I'm not, saying this is you because I don't know your case, but you know, did you have a drug case? And and if yes, yes. did you complete drug counseling? You know, did yeah. you do drug testing? Did you get your children back? Or, you yeah. know, maybe you were um accused of sexually abusing a child. And I think most people would say, well if that was the case, maybe we shouldn't give grandma the kid. You know, or exactly. were you accused of in- inappropriately spanking a child? 
And if you went to parenting and counseling and dealt with that and got your children back, your own children back, well, maybe, we, you know, that problem has been solved. We can't automatically disqualify grandma. So the, the, your, the mother of the child is going to have to contest this and tell she the judge, look. It. And did she lose? Well, they, they, she can, we contested it. Well, they contested it on Wednesday in court, and so they um, put it out for another month. Okay. They carried it so over first, but never turned it back in. Okay, so I don't know what stage of the case it is, but she and her attorney would have to present evidence that you are a reasonable caretaker who took care of the child and that the juvenile court shouldn't even be involved in this. Okay. Um, because if the juvenile court gets involved, then you have less of a chance of getting the child because of the prior CPS cases. But again, the analysis exactly. really goes to what was the CPS case about? Did you get your children back? Have you taken care of that problem? You know, that type of thing. Yes. So that's that's where all of the analysis should go and i think the department is just going to try to slam dunk the mother and slam dunk you and not give you this child back because oh she had a prior cps case um exactly but I, it's my opinion it's, it's my opinion that this case should not even be within the jurisdiction of the juvenile court assuming that you had you know what i would call minor cps cases and that you do qualify as a reasonable person to take care of the kid. You know, the best evidence of that, by the way, is how you were taking care of the kid for the one year or two years or whatever it was that you've had the child in your custody and they, no, you know, nobody knew anything about it. Exactly. So your exactly. daughter, your, your daughter who is in prison has substantial That's my daughter-in-law. Yes, okay. okay. So your daughter-in-law has... She has she has substantial rights, and she can fight to make sure that this case is not even um, before the juvenile court. So I don't know who her attorney is, um, but I'm sure her attorney has talked to her and given her good information. And I think that's where the battle should be, along with an analysis of whether you your CPS cases would prohibit you from taking care care of the child. By the way, it's not a strict liability or absolute, uh, absolute standard. In other words, you have a CPS case, oh, you're disqualified. That's not the analysis. The analysis exactly. is, oh, you had a CPS case. You had a CPS case. Now, can you still qualify? In other words, what was that case about? What have you done in the interim? You know, all of that type of thing. Exactly. But the money lies... The money lies with not giving you the child and opening the case. The real money lies in it for the county of Ventura is opening the case. You know, we've got to have a exactly. CPS case because this child's this child's in danger. You know, we got to protect children. And here, this child was living. You know, the, the sad thing is, and I've talked to kids who have become adults in the old days um, in Los Angeles County. When you were a court-appointed attorney, you represented parents and children. They don't do that anymore, but it gave you a balance. And, you know, I've talked to several clients who were children who have become adults, and they've told me horrific things about their time in foster care. And I happen to know, and I happen to believe this because part of my practice, you know, we represent foster parents who are accused of abusing their children in um, an administrative courts. You know, the juvenile judges know nothing about this. They do it in a whole separate system, a completely different building uh, with completely different judges. So judges think, oh, we send these kids to foster care. That's a utopia where kids will be safe. That's not true. And I represent foster parents accused of the most heinous things to children. From I represented a foster parent many years ago who was accused of causing the death of a child. Yeah. You know, I represent and I believe parents that who, you know, and, and we think that we're sending people, these kids to foster parent, uh, foster parents and that everything's going to be copacetic. I had a case, I was involved in a case in San Bernardino. This is within the last year where the mother um, was kept telling me that her son was at the, who they put in a group home um, he was, you know, he was Caucasian, 
and he was put in a group home of mostly minorities, African American and, and, and Latinos. And, and, and I'm African American, so I'm not just not about prejudice or anything. But the kid was placed in a foster home up in, I think, Kern County. And that, uh, first of all, was illegal because he's supposed to be in San Bernardino, but forget that. But he was being beat up on a regular basis by the other residents because he was the only white kid. Yeah. And um, And it happens. It happens. And I believe that a lot of foster parents are in it for the money. There's some good ones out there. There's some good ones out there. I won't say there isn't. But I believe it's for the money. Yeah, but statistically, statistically, there's always good ones. There's always really bad ones. And there's always the ones in between. And and the problem is, is that they're not perfect. And we're we're thinking we're sending them to foster care, and they're going to be they're going to be fine. I represented a lady um, many years ago who was um, who came to me in her early twenties. And uh, we ended up suing her prior foster parent. Her, they ended up settling, but the allegations she made were unbelievable. Almost, she said that she was the sex that they that the couple had gotten her to basically, you know, when she was about nine or ten, to be the basically be the maid at their home and uh, the sexual partner for the husband. Now, those were her mm-hmm. allegations. The case settled, uh, never went to trial, but can you imagine? Can you imagine that people would do that? Of course you can. We see it every day on the news. And these foster kids are, they're victims. They're, they're, they're sitting ducks for a lot of predators. And, um, you know, m- one of the things I'm going to be talking about later on the show is we should be placing these children with relatives. And for whatever yeah. reason, I think it's money. I think it's partly money. Um, there's this big, big, like, I don't know, feeling that, you know, a lot of social workers don't want to place kids with relatives. I met a lady last night who has a case. Um, uh, we're trying to get the child back. We're heading towards the first six-month review. And um, we've presented probably about 10 relatives to the social worker. She has yet to place the child with a relative. She wow. hasn't. She did check out. One, she did check out one home. She disqualified that for a reason, which I think was just bullshit. But what about the other relatives? You know, I routinely exactly. tell people who have kids that are in foster care, hey, give me a list of twenty-five relatives, relatives by blood, by marriage, and close family friends who aren't relatives, but they're close to the family. And yes. let's get, make the social worker investigate these people and place this child. Because this child being placed in a foster home, that's a traumatic experience. There's a risk that the child be with the family or the parents. But then we make it a worse situation because we put, stick them in a, um, in a foster home who, where they don't know anybody. You know, and sometimes, and, and I, I I was involved in another case uh, within the past year, and this kid who was African-American, my client's kid, was placed in an all-Spanish-speaking home. He doesn't speak oh, Spanish. No. Yes. The judge was furious. And the judge was furious. I, and yeah, because that even makes it the, harder for the child. Yes, yes. So before I go on and on a long rant, let's get back to your your, your situation. Well, to I, and I had an, a yes, and I'm going to do that. And I don't. They keep telling me it's not your case. She wasn't taken from you, but yet, if someone in my I asked if someone in my home can be approved, can she be placed back in the home? Well, no, because you you can't be considered emergency placement. But she wasn't taken from me. Supposedly, they opened up a case on the parents and they took her from the parents. So why would that you, be an issue? Yeah, you. Yeah, you know that's bullshit. But here's something yes, you can do. do. And I was just thinking. I was just thinking of it. You know, in January, I think 2015, Governor Brown in California passed a new law, 
And the law is that every child in California can have more than two legal parents. Okay. So what happens, especially in, and I don't think Ventura has even thought of this, but what's happening in a lot of counties like San Diego, this happens a lot in San Diego, um, a person like yourself files a motion to become the third parent. And it's called presumed, they call it presumed father status, but it's really presumed parent status. So okay. you can make a special type of motion and petition to the juvenile court to make you recognized as a parent. If you become recognized as a parent, your past CPS history becomes less and less important because you have the status of a parent, not just a grandparent. And based upon what you've told me that you were taking care of this child for so long, you probably would qualify. So what you should do is you should talk to an attorney about that possibility. Now, I don't know of a lot of attorneys who don't practice juvenile dependency will be able to talk to you about this because it's relatively new. I was, you know, I've been doing this a long time, but my eyes were open to it because I was down in San Diego involved on a case where, um, you know, a, a very brilliant San Diego public defender told me, uh, you know, hey, this is what we should do. We should make the stepfather, bring him in as a presumed father's status, get him an attorney, get him to fight for rights. And I thought, oh, and my God, so you're right. with that said, and, and, with that said, they would be able to open up. I told them I didn't even have a, a problem with them opening up a CPS case on me because I had nothing to hide. I knew I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was moving forward and, you know, everything. I got my children back, but they said I wasn't the parent. So they couldn't open up a case on me. Right, but if you make this motion and file this petition to be a presumed parent, you will then become a parent. Exactly. And I don't mind then so if they have to come into my home and do family maintenance or whatever they do, just as long as this child is back with me because I believe she should be with me. She's been with me her whole life. Right. So that's what you should do, and I'm advising all the listeners, if you're in the situation like Grandma here, Consider talking to a parent, excuse me, an attorney about making that presumed parent motion or petition to the court to make you declared a parent so that you'll have the same rights, the same status as the mother and father. Ma'am, I want to thank, thank you, you for, sir, calling. for all your time. All right. If you would like to discuss it further, call me at the office later today or next week and make an appointment. We can have a free phone consultation. But thank you for I your definitely call. will. And thank you for your time. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to take another telephone call right now. It's from area code 760, ending in 95. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry, is that better? Uh, much better. Hi. Did you have a question or did you want to share a story? Uh, actually, my um, I have five grandchildren that were taken from CPS from my daughter and her boyfriend. They've never been married, but they've been together since the first child. Um, they've started from seven all the way down to two. And um, they've lived with me most of the time they've been together. They were out on their own. Um, like I said, um, they had had some problems with some neighbors. They got turned in. Um, uh, basically, it seemed like it was a, a neighborhood suite, okay? There was a bunch of different houses in the neighborhood, and they came in and took children. Now, I've been fighting. I'm the grand, maternal grandparent, and I've been fighting for uh, over a year now in the courts in San Bernardino trying to get custody of my children, of the grandchildren. Um, I have had also a previous case back in 1999 that I went through with um, my oldest daughter, and um, I got all my children back in 2000. The case was completely closed and dismissed. However, they're um, saying that because the way the social worker put it on as a, a khaki hit um, for a failure to protect um, in 99, and it was never released when the court documents were released, they're not allowing me to have custody of my grandchildren. 
Uh, I went through all of my appeal processes and, and asked for rehearings. And in the paperwork that I even got back from the appeals judge, it said that the, anything from the CPS was not founded against me. But because there is actually a CPS hit on my record, they can't allow me to have my grandchildren. Absolutely no sense to me at all. I mean, it's it just there's absolutely nothing you could do. And then they say the only thing I could do is go to civil court to fight for it. And I'm just wondering if there's anything possible that I can do still. Yes, you um, you can go to civil court. and But the only thing that civil court can do is give you money. And um, it sounds like, you know, you're not really interested in the money. You want your grandchildren. So yes. you would have to do that through the, through the Juvenile Dependency Court in San Bernardino on Gilbert. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. When you took it to an appeal, was that an appeal through the Superior Court and the Court of Appeals of California, or was that an administrative appeal uh, with an administrative law judge? Well, I went through through everything. This was through, um, I, I started out with San Bernardino County. Um, first of all, it took them like uh, six months to do even do a, a home inspection, which I passed and received my letter, and we were all happy thinking the kids were coming, and they were even told the kids that we had at one of our visits that they were going to be coming with their grandmother, and then, and then they didn't. And um, so I had to file for the appeal, which I went into San Bernardino County in front of a judge, private thing. We talked to him, and that's where they gave me, you know, the paperwork and the write-up saying that, um, you know, I mean, they did, when they did my FBI, my background check and everything, of course, that khaki hit came off, and there was a couple things. There was a, a said a failure to uh, register a vehicle or something like that. Well, that was my son's ticket, and they were saying that was a criminal, current criminal activity okay, against me. So when they asked for proof for it, that's what it was. My, my son had taken my truck when I was gone one weekend to turn in, uh, help his friend turn in aluminum cans. And I had had just recently done some work on the vehicle, got it smogged, and had the registration and everything in my purse, and I was out of town. So um, um, he, got, he got pulled over and uh, got a ticket for something. He did it lane change or something, didn't put a signal on. Anyhow, he didn't have the paperwork with him. So they wrote him a ticket. It was just a fix-it ticket. I paid $25 and had the ticket wrote off. And um, they were trying to hold that against me. I took in proof to the court and everything. So like I said, they showed all that, but that's the criminal activity that they were trying to say against me besides the prior um, khaki hit. So, I mean, I've done everything. I've even called the Department of Justice on my thing, and they talked to me and told me that, they don't believe that um, that anything should be against me, that it, it was an error. I mean, this is coming straight from them, that it was uh, a matter of the situation. Um, my daughter, when she was little, she was eight years old, whatever, and she had said that um, she was molested by her stepdad. So she was removed from the home. My other kids stayed. That was their dad. And we went through the whole court system. I went through my awareness classes and yada, yada. The case was com- completely closed. I even went back down to Riverside and talked to the clerks in the office there and saying, you know, is there something on this that really should be held against me in all these years? And she's the clerk there printed up. She says, this is what matters. See this line right here that says um, um, that it was um, in its entirety? She says, that's all that matters. You have your children. We gave you your children back in 2000, and, and, and it's nothing against you. But I guess the way the social worker put it in the system, it's showing that as me as like a perpetrator. This this all went through juvenile courts. It never went into a court. They never prosecuted my ex-husband, okay, who I've had no contact in in all these years and also no child support in all these years. And I can't get help from the county. They collected for 11 years and never got a penny after I turned them in time after time, you know. And they never chose to prosecute because they said he was out of the home. So. Now, he's got a family. He's got big homes in San Diego, makes $30,000, you know, a month. And and I'm here struggling to raise the four children that I had and can't have my grandchildren because of it. And yet he's got a happy home. And, and they've refused and never prosecuted him or never went after him for anything. And they refused to take that off of my um, Department of Justice. 
the social worker said well, said that uh, you know it's up to them to take it off, and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, okay, so believe it or not, I have a client who was in the exact situation you were in. It took me more than a year to fight to get the child placed back with her because of a mistake that was made on her record like 15 years before. Mm -hmm. It took a long, hard fight. And, you know, if the social worker is against you, um, you know, that makes it even more difficult. That was a complete different county. In my opinion, one of the reasons why they're doing this to you and they were doing it to my client was they're trying to protect themselves from civil liability. And in that particular case, um, we're now uh, getting ready to file paperwork to sue the county and and this social worker like from 15 years ago who put stuff on my client's record, she was a grandmother, that just wasn't true. And it stopped her from getting the child or, you know, getting the child placed back with her for, I think, about 18 months. Um, so when I, there was an important question that I asked you, and I, I wasn't clear about your answer. When you went through the appeal process, was it an administrative appeal or was it a judicial appeal? Or do you I know believe I did both. I did. I, I believe I did want both. I had a. Um, I have to. I'm at. I am actually at work. I can't me, but I wait, believe. Um, who, who wait, wait, wait a second. Who's your judge? Who's the children's judge in San Bernardino? You know, I don't have it in front of me. I know there's the lady is judge that a, handles most of the cases, and the gentleman, the gray-haired gentleman, uh, the older. Um, I'm sorry, I just thought, cannot think of it off the top of my head, but um, um, he have is actually ordered. He's, or have you, have you actually sorry, been in front of a judge in San, have you actually been in front of a judge in San Bernardino, juvenile court, who said, ma'am, you can't have the children? Has that ever happened? Uh, not in the actual courthouse. No, I went to, they have another courthouse, uh, appeals courthouse where I had, I had a phone, um, I was supposed to have a phone interview with a judge in Sacramento. He was really nice. I mean, he was chewing up a social worker left and right. And then, um, he appointed, uh, in person interview with a a judge in San Bernardino at a different office, not at the courthouse. Okay, so that's, and that was my... you have been going through it. You have been going through an administrative process. That's different yes. from the judicial process. You have to get into court in San Bernardino on Gilbert Street in front of the judge with the right petition and the right motions to have the kids placed with you. Additionally, you should talk to an attorney, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it, about suing San Bernardino and the county for not placing these kids with you. And one of the reasons why they're not exactly doing what it, I'm trying in, my to do. Humble, in my humble opinion, is they're doing it for money. Do you have my office telephone number? Uh, yes, I do. I believe my daughter's already talked to you. I've been in front of this judge here, and he's one just recently. Like I said, I've been going through this for over a year. I have been to every court thing, and the judge even made a comment. Well, I see this grandparent has, because they just placed the older three. They were in separate homes. They just placed the older three in uh they just gave guardianship to the foster parent. They were trying to adopt and the judge said no, because he still thinks there should be a chance for the parents. And actually with what was going on with the parents, um, the first time they went into the courthouse, the judge says, I didn't see no reason for removal from the home, come to court tomorrow. And then the social worker went, the kids went back with the parents and the social worker came the next day and whooped them up. And, but anyhow, um, so yeah, I've all but I've told them I went to the thing and they say there's nothing you can do. You can't talk. By the time you go in there, you know they have their little meeting and you go into the courtroom and you say, well, I'm going to stand up and say this and this and and you walk in and you sit down and it's two minutes and it's like, okay, we're coming back on this day and we're going to review everything. So I have a court date on the eighth, which is going to place the other two. The social workers already told me, well, this is what's happening. When we go back on the eighth, the uh, younger two are going to also have guardianship. At, with the same foster parent that has the other other ones, and then uh, we're going to go for the motion for adoption. 
And I'm thinking, this is this is crazy. This is really, really crazy. Okay, ma'am, you and the mother need to call my office, make an appointment for, for a consultation, come in and see me. We have a lot to talk about. I can't go any further with the call because I'm having calls backed up. We have only yes, about 15 you. minutes left in the show. But please call me, and thank you for calling today. I sure will. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Right. I'm going to try to take another call now. It's from area code 626, ending in 19. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Doing fine. Did you want to call to share a story or ask a question? Um, I was wanting to call. I contacted you through uh, Facebook over <clears throat> my twins. I actually met with you before. Um, my twins were taken from me um, last year, and now I, my rights have been terminated. My family has been denied placement. Um, they are out of home care for a year now, and um, my appeal has now been suspended due to the juvenile court withholding um, records. Um, what do you mean suspended? Not. I don't. I've never heard that. It's um, it's been it's been put on hold. It's been suspended. They they fully briefed one of my appeals. I have two appeals pending. The first one. Um, I filed back in December when um, my my dad and his and his wife were denied placement, and then I'm also de- obviously de- um, appealing my termination of my parental rights. Um, Why was your dad but, denied placement? Um, the judge said that it wasn't in the best interest of the children. There's no reason for um, him to have been denied placement. None whatsoever. Hey, my, my dad's school teacher. Oh, Zeidler. Zeke Zeidler. Mm-hmm. No comment. Keep going. <laughs> yes. Um, and my, my twins are, um, they just turned three on, in June, the end of June. So they're highly, highly adoptable. Um, but my rights were terminated because they took away my medical rights and I didn't know their doctor, doctor appointments and stuff like that, that was withheld from me. And so because I wasn't playing an active role as a parent in their medical needs, um, my rights were terminated in the end. And um, we don't you know, know really gonna, what to do. <laughs> I'm going to take at face value what you said is true, but it's the craziest thing. I keep, you know, every day I wake up and I talk to people and the stories just keep coming and coming. I, unbelievable stories about how families are being broken apart. So you're, you're, you're right. Your appeal has been put on hold. Now that's, and I've done appeals for years. I've never heard that right. before. Well, it was put the, on the hold court of because appeals, the court they of, were... Mm-hmm. The it court was, of appeals well, it was put on hold because, court. yeah. Mhm. It was put on hold because what? Because my my attorney asked um for it to be put on hold for to uh so that they could so she could receive the whole record because when she requested she augmented I think that's the proper word augmented my um my record to go through the whole entire thing. There's pieces missing from it. Mm-hmm. And um, the main the main part that was missing from it was all of my 388 petitions requesting placement with my family, my family requesting placement, um, my parents, my my oldest daughter that is still in my care, and uh, requesting placement with my family, and they were con- they were denied numerous denials of um, 388 petitions along with. Um, my drug tests, my letters from my psychiatrist, my um, therapist, all, everything that would put me in a positive light was denied. Well, all of those petitions were not in the record. 
for some reason, don't know why, but they were not in there. So in order to get the well, whole record, attorney? my attorney, her name is Amy Tobin. She's amazing. She's good. But she um, she informed me that this was happening, and she's like, I've asked the court to put a hold on it until September so I can receive the whole record because of this is what's going on. And so I said, okay. So she's made a, a motion to augment the record to make sure everything is before the Court of Appeal. Correct. She believes Sounds that like the Court of Appeal needs with... to see everything. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like you're in very good hands with Attorney Tobin. Um, but I don't get why the kids weren't placed with any relatives. And what were the excuses? Um, um, there were none given. And to, um, I don't want to sound um, prejudiced or anything like that. But it's, um, it's the circumstances with the foster couple. And I don't Wait know a how to You're say it without. A little bit more specific. I know. <laughs> um, so just um, the, the the couple the couple is um is a, is a homosexual. They're they're a gay couple, and um, as soon as they were placed with with them, family got thrown out the door. Why do you think that was? Um, because my judge is Seidler. And um, that, that's why I believe it is. And um, they were thinking about, they, they had my, my family go through the whole ASHLA um, approval. They had my family go through background screening, which it took them three months to even submit the paperwork. They withheld the paperwork um, completely, which is beyond me because they can submit the paperwork through their cell phones now and um, get to get the DOJ clearance. And it's it's crazy to me that it took three months for them to even submit the paper for my parents to get clearance. And then once they did and the clearance was in and the day of our court date completely denied, uh, visitations were taken away, everything. I haven't seen my children since April 20th of this year or even know how they're doing. How old are they? Three. How old are they? They're both three years old. They're twins. You know, that's a very uh, serious allegation you're making regarding the judge. Do you have any evidence of that? I know. Um, no, no, I don't. I just, I just have a feeling that that's what it has to do with. And I think that there's a little bit of, um, the father was, was granted, um, placement with the, their father was given placement back in 2013 um, or 14, I mean, and um, he then abducted the children for over 16 months. And um, when they were found again and brought back, they were never placed with family. And I think that it has a lot to do with that and then that as well. I could see that happening, although it's not right, I don't think, because I think each family member should be examined individually. But it sounds like right. your um, your appellate attorney, your appellate attorney, uh, attorney Tobin, is right on top of this and in, in, in asking for all of the 388s that were filed so that the Court of Appeals can get a full picture of what's going on in this case. And in my opinion, mm-hmm. I mean, somebody should look at why these kids weren't placed with family. Sometimes I get yeah. the feeling that in a situation like yours, where the father ran off with the kids, uh, the social worker um, communicates to the court, well, you know, if one family member ran off with the kids, then the whole family is bad. And that's not necessarily right. true. And each family right. member has to be looked at indiv- individually. So it sounds like you have a very good um, appellate attorney, um, mm-hmm. and you said the your kids are going for guardianship or or adoption. No adoption, adoption. Yes. Yep. It's not just guardian. It's um. It's it sucks, 
<laughs> it really does. And it's not, it's not just me that stuff like this is happening to, and it's happening all over. And it's, it's really, really, it's sad. And, um, I don't, we don't, I don't know what to do. I've, I've got my 10 year old still. And that's what's well, I don't, the crazy I don't, part. I don't understand that. How, yeah, I don't understand that. How can you have a 10-year-old in your custody but not have your other children? How did that happen? I don't know. Because I have no idea. If you're a danger have to my 10-year-old. One, if, you're a, if you're a danger to one child, you should be a danger to all children. Correct. And I think, um, well, the reason why this whole started, I went into the hospital when I was pregnant with my twins at 26 weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... um. I went to one hospital, and there they, they drug tested me through a urinalysis test. That came out positive. I was transferred by ambulance to another hospital where they did a urinalysis test on me there. That came out negative, as well as my blood test. But they still opened mm-hmm. up a case on me for the twins. Um, they were born a week later with nothing in their system, nothing in my system. And three months later, the county got involved over the one positive drug test from one hospital, which was a false positive. Three months later? Three months later. A week before my daughter was discharged from um, the hospital. Now, ma'am, I don't know all of the facts in your case, but what you're telling me is it's, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Um, have you uh, gotten the chance to talk to a lawyer about possibly presume, pursuing civil rights case against uh, the social workers in the county? Um, yes, we have. Um, we just, I just don't have the money to pay a lawyer right now to start a case at this moment in time. I gave him all my money to a lawyer to defend me during this, and he failed miserably. Well, there, you know, there's a there's several attorneys um, around California that might be interested in your case. Mm. Um, who who would not who, who wouldn't charge you anything? They charge you a contingency fee case, which means you wouldn't have to put up money in the beginning. Okay. Have you, have you talked to any of those law- Have you talked to any of those lawyers? I don't know any. I don't know who I would contact. <clears throat> okay, so we're running out of time, but I want you to call me, and I'll give you those names, and we also do that as well. So please call me later today or on Monday at my office, and we'll continue this conversation. Okay. Okay. I, yeah, I don't live too far from your office. Okay. Very good. And thank you for calling today. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're running out of time this morning. Um, we have about a minute left in the things. Unfortunately, I can't take any more calls. Uh, the other two ways that I was thinking about reforming, we should try to act as a group statewide, nationwide, is to allow not only, uh, you know, I've been hearing a lot of calls from grandparents to allow placement with relatives at any time during the proceeding and that it be a priority. Supposedly, it's a priority now under Section 309 of the Welfare and Institutions Code, but relatives are still being treated like second-class citizens. Um, And the third way that I was thinking about, uh, so we had the first two, um, jury trial, uh, relative placement priorities. And um, there was another way, and it's my mind. I apologize, but I will pick this up next week on next week's show. Everyone have a good weekend, and thank you for listening. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.